This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for being here. If you are listening to this the day that this episode comes out, you are listening to our first ever Tuesday edition of the Resilient Disciples Podcast. We are launching twice a week episodes, and we are so excited to continue this conversation with you. And to start off that new rhythm, we sat down with John and Kim Walton. John is an Old Testament scholar. Kim has over 30 years of experience in the practitioner world. They came together and wrote a resource, the Bible Story Handbook, a resource for teaching 175 stories from the Bible. 175 stories. That's all the stories. We have found it so helpful in our work coming alongside you in your local context that we just want to present this book to you directly. So you'll see in the show notes today more information about the book, including how you can purchase it. But what I hope you hear from this is that these are two people that are incredibly passionate about scripture, the authority that scripture has, and how that authority is communicated, especially to kids. And my guess is that's something that you care about too. Thankfully, I was also joined by Kristen Thompson and Kirsten Hitchcock for this conversation, two people who can provide even more insight on the responsibility of effectively communicating scripture well. This book has helped us, and we just think it can help you. So here's episode 12 of the Resilient Disciples podcast, featuring Dr. John and Kim Walton. What's the origin story of this book? The origin of this project was simply the idea that we sensed there was a problem. Uh, we got to the point where we considered it not just a problem, but a crisis, a crisis in curriculum by which kids were taught in our churches. And so we wanted to do something about it. And we tried many different avenues to do something about it. And eventually this book was the result to try to address the curriculum crisis, not to solve it, um, although anything that we can do to move toward a solution is great. Uh, only better curriculum will solve it. But that we could begin addressing it and hope to put information on the table that could make a difference. A difference for teachers, a difference for churches, a difference for kids, mm. so that they could know the Bible better based on what it's doing, what it's actually doing. And so that's what has driven us from the start to try to move in a positive direction so that God's word is taught with the power that it's supposed to have. That's great. I feel like one of the things that is so clear from those who have read the book is the level of thought that you guys poured into each individual story. It felt like I was reading 175 books and one very entertaining introduction that there was so much um, density to the thought that you guys put into the story and that the interpretations were so sound, but that it felt incredibly approachable. One of the things that's really important to me as someone who is so new to this kids ministry world is that the person who is sort of having to step into leading children just because someone saw them talking to a child once and now they have to do this work that they are well-equipped. And I think your book has provided an opportunity for that person to feel well-equipped in addition to the person uh, felt very called to this work and felt very prepared and did the work to be uh, well-versed in practitionering. So I want to turn to Kirsten and Kristen. Um, you guys introduced me to this book and thank you for it. 
when you look at sort of the scope of what's out there, what made this book stand out? My first week on my new job, I had to tell, teach the story of Joseph and I had already beloved that story. But when I read the Bible story handbook and realized that luckily it didn't change anything that I knew about the story, I was like, oh, okay. I was taught it correctly. Wonderful validation. But at the same point, I looked at how I could teach children this, not only the meta narrative of scripture, but to teach them this story about who God is, not about what Joseph did. It's not about the code. It's not about the relationships with his brothers. It's not about, it's a, it's about who God is and how God was with Joseph through it all and had a plan and a purpose. And so looking at that and realizing I got to do that now for kids and I got to do it in a context where kids were deeply grieving and hurting from divorce or trauma And I got to tell them that I said, look at everything that Joseph went through. Look at the things that were unexpected. And yet God was with him said, I, I want you to walk away today knowing that God is with you in everything in the hard, hard things that we're all going through and then helping them understand that, um, God's desire wasn't that all of these horrible things would happen to his people. It was God deeply loves you and he cares for you and he's with you and you can talk to him. So then helping kids more so reconcile that relationship that maybe they didn't have with their parents or they didn't have with someone that they, that they knew that they could just go to God with anything. I think for me, it felt more like I don't know, like rain on parched ground or something like it it really felt um, so helpful to have this resource because I felt like for so long in doing children's ministry and even doing some curriculum writing, my husband and I were in youth ministry too. And so seeing on the youth pastor side of things, how that I think a lot of times when people are given a passage of scripture that they don't know they need to teach on, they read the passage, they go for a long walk They think up the best ideas that they can think of. And, you know, maybe if they're doing due diligence, they're looking at a handful of commentaries or resources, but there's still a lot left to uh, the imagination and to uh, what what resources you happen to bump into and what you um, notice based on everything else going on. And so I think that I have just appreciated how this resource provides such guardrails for um, all of us in the children's ministry world to be able to say, this is already here and it's already so good. And the fact that you guys said you spent two decades really building up to this to say um, that I can trust your research. I can trust what you've done here and to look at, look at Bible stories through this, this lens um, to be able to move from there and be creative. It just gives a lot of guardrails to say, here's, here's the sandbox you can play in. And, um, you still leave so much freedom for what that looks like. Um, but just that the way that it helps us, um, stay true to scripture without having to read a hundred commentaries and do all of the things and know all of the ancient languages and, you know, all of the things like that is just fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I've never made something that I then have asked someone to comment and tell me how great it was while they're sitting right next to me. So I apologize if that was uncomfortable, but I wanted to (laughs) lean into that for a moment because I think that you spent 20 years putting this together and it is this thing that has had a profound impact generationally 
on the lives of kids. When you sat out to write this book, it seems like a lot of it was just sort of beginning to correct some of those interpretations. You tell a brilliant story in the introduction about uh, Cain and Abel. But I hope now that there's an ability to see that this is literally changing how people are hearing and living out the word of God. We do see that. We get emails or feedback um, and we hear stories about how it's revolutionizing, how Sunday school teachers and indeed Sunday schools um, and now curricula are being uh, affected by what we tried to incorporate into, into this book. You, know, you mentioned earlier the, um, the level at which it's communicating and Kim was a big help on that one because she had taught for so long that she understood how you have to communicate in very basic terms to get the truths across to that audience. And, and it's not a whole lot different when you're trying to communicate to teachers. Mm. Uh, we know we're not dealing with people who have a great deal of training in the Bible or in thinking about how to do Bible. And so how do you communicate those things in persuasive ways? Uh, that will really help them to be able to do the job as they are actually teaching kids. I sometimes lament the fact that I'm I'm not an eloquent writer. I'm not a, <laughs> I don't write flowery prose. That, but in the case of this book, that turned out to be an advantage. Mm. I can do nuts and bolts, and mm. that's what we had to do here. Just kind of hit the basics, hit them as clearly as possible. That's great. I'm going to ask a basic question because I think that while there are going to be a lot of people who listen to this who have heard of this resource and maybe it's sitting on some bookshelves and a lot of the people who pick this up, there's going to be some people who, until they heard the intro to this episode, have no idea what we're talking about. So when you set out to write 175 stories, when this resource is created, describe for people how you intended for this resource to be used. Or someone should, should someone be standing up in front of a room of kids just reading from your book directly? Like, what is this? What is this? The purpose of this material? Well, it's called Bible Story Handbook, and actually, we have no Bible stories in there. It's really a tool to how to be able to tell a Bible story well. Um, some of the background information that will be helpful to you as you tell the Bible story. Uh, some of the application points that we want you to use or we feel that God has put into his word in that story. So it's really a tool to come alongside your Bible as you're preparing to teach um, a Bible story, a scripture passage. That's great. Because I think, I've told this story before, but my wife, she's a pediatric nurse and we were doing a church plant and she literally said to me after we knew that there was going to be an opening for children's ministry. She was like, well, I mean, I'm going to take the job. What I've learned is that is that is a pervasive attitude in this world. And then what happens is she went, Oh, what do I do with these kids? And I think people, especially those within the church kind of forget that a lot of practitioners start at that basic of a level where it's wait, I need a curriculum or how do I teach the Bible in a way that, makes sense to a four-year-old and a 14-year-old, right? The, it starts at that foundational of a level. And even how do we choose a curriculum? 
there are so many things that will um, impress themselves upon someone when they're first looking at a curriculum, whether it's online or with an actual sample book. And there are lots of things that can be impressive, lots of things that can be overwhelming. And you, unless you sit down with your criteria very carefully, it's easy to focus on something that's not quite as important as other things. Yes, we want it to be attractive. We want it to be educationally sound. We want it to have a lot of resources for teachers to use. We want it to have, provide activities that the children will enjoy. We, we want all of those things. But you can have all of those things, and if you're not getting the message from Scripture that Scripture is giving, all of that is just extras. It's not getting at what the curriculum needs to do. And so it's very hard for someone who hasn't had any training, and sometimes even for people who have had training, to cut through all of that and say, what do I really need to look at mm. for this uh, curriculum to succeed? Yeah. And, and it turns out, what do I really need to look at is the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Every <a> thought. <laughs> what went from a place of I'm a concerned parent and I want my child to have sound biblical theology to no, this needs to be a resource for the masses. Well, we hit a critical juncture point when my second son was three years old and we were coming home from Sunday school and I asked him, what was your story about? And he said, Cain and Abel. And I was immediately sort of puzzled, what in the world can you teach a three-year-old about Cain and Abel that's going to make any sense? And so I said, well, so what was your story about? He said, God made our bodies. At this point now, I'm starting to panic because I'm thinking <laughs> that he'd been inattentive or he's just you know teasing me or something. And But we kind of worked through it and it Turns out that indeed he was correct. It had been a story about Cain and Abel, but not really about Cain and Abel at all. Yeah. It was about God made our bodies. And I think that that's a great example because it's certainly true that God made our bodies. It's not like he was taught something false, but he was not taught what the Bible was teaching. And I've never talked to anyone on this point that would have sat there and looked me straight in the face and said, Oh no, the Bible's teaching that God made our bodies right there. <laughs> so <laughs> until this, now, no, yeah. I'm just <laughs> this is an example that everybody can look at and say, no, you can't do that with the Bible. And that's the, that important point to reach where somebody says, wait, you can't do that with the Bible, even though it's something that's true. You can't do that with the Bible because then my next question is why not? And of course, I don't think you can do that with a Bible. <laughs> but now to answer, why can't we do that with a Bible? You're thrown into the discussion about methodology. What is the Bible doing? What isn't the Bible doing? And how do we get at it? And how do we shape a methodology that will help us get at that biblical message consistently? And that's where we need people to be. That's where we tried to, to push them uh, to get to that point with the book, with the introductory chapters, and then with the examples of the 175 stories, to get people to think about what is the Bible? What's it doing? How's it doing it? And how can I be an instrument in that happening mm. instead of being sort of an obstacle <laughs> that's going to prevent some of that getting through and reroute it to something else that I want to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. It's time for a new conversation. Resilient Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church is now available. The book is an honest calling to ask robust questions about the future of faith. In the midst of changing cultural landscapes, this book is a love letter to the church about the children who will one day lead and minister in the face of cultural adversity. Resilient Child Discipleship looks beyond the tactics of everyday ministry and focuses our energy on the few key factors that truly contribute to effective long-term discipleship. Get a copy for you and your team today at ResilientDisciples.com. There was one section of the book in particular of how you laid out each story. And I believe the heading that you use is mistakes to avoid, which I believe is a great example of the tone of this book because it is outlining the truth that those are mistakes. You know, we use language around here about spine and heart and how spine is truth and heart is the way that you go about communicating that with a level of emotional intelligence. And I feel like you have in that heading, you've hit the right level of emotional intelligence where people know that, oh, there might be a different way to do this. I think when people read that in this book, they're going to see that, oh, what I have been told may not be as biblically sound or as accurate or in some cases literally true as I thought. Well, you have to know that the section called Mistakes to Avoid is the very last section on each spread for the story. So we give you a lot of tools of what you should be doing before (laughs) we give some tips about what maybe you should be careful about. (laughs) That's good. The whole idea was that we realized that people would have to be shown what they might not be doing quite correctly for them to start to get the drift that they needed to change. After all, if you're going to change, you have to see some reason to change. As my dad used to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) So we had to have a way to help people see how it may be broke. And that came both in the methodology section to the beginning where we talked about what should we be doing and what the problem is if we're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Then also story by story, right along to show how some of the ways we've done this, it's broke. (laughs) And so it was that that kind of idea. And we wanted to be gentle about it, but at the same time, we wanted to be able to make the point. By doing that story by story, we were able to revisit the methodology over and over again. Uh, We certainly were not content to say, yeah, it's broke. We wanted to say, and here's why Mm. we should consider this as in need of improvement or correction or revision. And the here's why always links back to the methodology and the typical fallacies that people make. And by that time, we've already demonstrated why these fallacies are indeed fallacies. Mm. And it goes back to the fact that those fallacies short circuit our ability to receive the Bible's message. And if we believe the Bible to be authoritative, as we certainly do, then you don't want to short circuit that connection that's going to get you to what the Bible's doing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because I think what people, at least what I feel like I've begun to learn that people have lost sight of, Awana's having this conversation around Resilient Disciples. That's the name of this podcast. And the way that Resilient Disciples are made is not through, uh, we'll call it shallow, biblical interpretations, especially as we go into the future. When someone is picking up this book for the first time, 
how do they begin to leverage this book into an existing mechanism, right? Because children's ministry exists in every church. How do they begin to uh, plug this into the wheel that's already turning? Read the introduction first. (laughs) I mean, um, I mean, we joke about that, but I think it, I was so excited about it that I jumped to Joseph and read things, but then realized I probably should read the introduction to understand like all of the reasons behind why they did what they did, even though I already, I already trusted John and Kim. (laughs) So I think part of it was, well, I trust them. So I will jump here. Um, but as I read the introduction, I was invited into a new way of thinking. And I say invited because the way they wrote it didn't make me feel like I was doing something wrong for way too long. Mm. And so I didn't feel shame for what I had done or, um, how I had been going about things or making up a story in my head of what they're thinking of everyone that's reading this book. You know, uh, I knew as I read it that they were inviting me into a new way of thinking and inviting me into a new way of helping kids encounter God. Mm. I mean, that is really what I felt when I read it. I, I really, it was an opportunity to take a training that I had had in school um, and start to put it into practice in my context and to say, okay, I want to use all, now I want to use these primary resources next to my Bible to say, okay, now what, I just read the story. Now, what are they, what are they saying should be my lesson focus? What am I reading in a commentary and then putting it all together to make sure that, um, I'm staying true to the text and true to what this is really teaching about God being God centric and not being Adam centric. Um, And so that's really, I mean, that would be my basic, like read the beginning first, um, because you can be so eager to correct a problem that it's like, no, take the time to understand the reason why you need to correct the problem and not just do it as a problem to fix check off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like the basic way I would say it is this book can only make you more legit at what you do. (laughs) Um, I think that one of the things, and I think of a conversation you had Kirsten with someone like a month or two ago that was kind of coming at it. I think from more of like a, I'm already really into theology type of thing and looking down on children's ministry curriculum. Like they were maybe coming with maybe not wrong assumptions, but coming at it, like nothing, nothing, you're, nothing probably in children's ministry curriculum can be as good or as sound as like what you might see in the adult sphere, which is actually really like a pretty common misconception, I think. Um, and maybe somewhat deserved from like bad, uh, interpretations that have happened in children's ministry. Um, but I think that what this does and what in, in the comfort, that conversation led to, well, um, why don't you read this book? Uh, and they happened to flip to the story that they were teaching on that week and looked at the, um, the list of everything that was there and, um, like paused for a minute in the conversation. And, uh, we ended up giving them a copy to take with them of like, why don't you just take this with you and go, um, because, it's just, it, it's just going to help you stay on track. And that doesn't mean switching curriculums necessarily. That's an entirely separate choice that you're going to make based on maybe how well it adheres. Like John, you were talking about, okay, like put this up against that kind of a matrix or grid for what you see inside the curriculum. Um, but also it doesn't matter what curriculum you're using. If you're teaching on Joseph, 
you're going to want to make sure you hit the big points and don't make the mistakes. And so if you, if you keep that in mind, then it just becomes a, a great resource no matter what. Sometimes I felt like in curriculum that I had, I had to do a lot of correcting of um, what I was getting from a publisher and uh, adding in stuff to make it more solid. But when you're rushed, uh, that it, you can be hard to feel like you have done an adequate job of those things. And so this just, in that way, um, for someone who is, okay, this is a curriculum I'm already using and I'm going to stick with it. It just helps to know, okay, like where do I need to tweak and adjust so that I can use the existing resources I have, but stay true to the Bible. I don't know if you guys thought about, you know, the generational impact of a book like this, but you guys have kids of your own. And when you look at the world they're trying to lead into, how, how do you hope this book helps them? Well, the church faces an uncertain world. Um, and the kids that grow up in the church are facing an uncertain world. How can we be prepared as God's people to make good decisions in very difficult circumstances? There are so many difficult questions facing us, whether it's in the areas of social ethics or uh, scientific advances or just the crises that the world is facing. And people need to hear how the Bible can help us to think through those issues. But if we never learn how to use the Bible well and properly, we're not going to be in a position to speak God's word into these situations. And so I see this as not just telling kids Bible stories, it's teaching them how to interpret text well so that as they grow and learn and eventually as adults have to speak into a troubled world, that they will be equipped with sound methods so that they don't go spouting all kinds of crazy things that really don't represent God's word speaking into the world. To me, then, this is absolutely vital that the children we are raising in the church be given a robust understanding of God's word and how it works. And that's what I think we're trying to do. Yeah. And I, for the record, I think you succeed. In this sort of conversation around uh, preparing to teach kids about the Bible, for all of you who are in this, who are in this world, when you look at how people are having to prepare to lead the people, the person who's listening to this, who on Sunday is going to have to stand up in front of a room of children. What are some of the like hopeful things that you see that allow you to feel like, Oh, they will do that. Well, do that well with our own kids. And what are some of the more common pain points? Because spoiler alert, I think this book addresses a lot of those common pain points. I think that so often in children's ministry, the people who are lining up teachers are forced into the very awkward, uncomfortable position of just finding a warm body. We need to have two adults in there. And it's so hard to get people to give up their time. And so often we're willing to make do mm. with just people who are willing to go in there. And too often those people don't really want to be there. They have not been prepared to 
operate successfully in that context. And the result is that either they may try to tell the story just as a story and put their own twist onto it, or they might even abandon that altogether and just let the kids play. Hmm. And I think we need to think about how we can get a renewed vision for churches to have a children's ministry that is viewed as vital, not just as child care, not just as we need volunteers and we're just going to grab whatever we can. Uh, it seems that teacher training doesn't happen too often anymore or that it reflects kind of how you clean the toys. The whole reason we're there is not to clean toys. <laughs> the whole reason we're there is to communicate the Bible. And it's not just playtime with a story thrown in. And so somehow we have to find ways that churches can buy into this yeah. vision of what education for the kids can and must be. Amen. And I think for the practitioner who's out there, who's been just getting by with a warm body, that this provides a way for you to do more than that. You have done the hard work and that you have created uh, structure and pathways for people to follow in how to talk about God's word that, you know, to use language we use around here that allows for the person to regain focus on just being the loving and caring adult in that child's life rather than being a babysitter. What do you hope parents get from this handbook? Well, nobody's invested as much in those kids as their parents have. And sometimes parents might be concerned that Sunday morning is just a playtime. And they want to make sure that their kids learn the Bible. But again, they don't really quite know how to do that. So uh, we subtitled this a resource for teaching. And whether that teaching is taking place in a Sunday school or in a club program or in the home or by grandparents when they get a chance to get the kids uh, or whatever, whatever level it is, this can be a resource. We've gotten a lot of feedback from uh, friends of mine who are pastors who have it on their shelf. And any time that they're getting ready to preach biblical narrative, they're using it because we wrote it so that anybody at any level could make use of it. And again, that includes youth pastors and Bible study leaders, you know, women's Bible studies, men's Bible studies, youth Bible studies, small groups, <laughs> whatever, anybody who's doing biblical narrative. You know, biblical narrative is just a fancy word for Bible stories. Nice. And that's, awesome. that's really what we're trying to provide a resource for anybody who is working with this very important literature. Because as familiar as the Bible stories are, people don't know what to do with those stories. And that's what we want to help with. Thank you to John, Kim, Kirsten, and Kristen for the time. And thank you for listening, especially all the way till the end. Before you go, I have one more thing. On Thursday, you're going to get more of this conversation with John and Kim. Our goal for the conversations you get every Thursday in your feed with this podcast, that they cover a wide spectrum of topics, that they are highly focused on any individual issues, questions, or just things you want to learn more about within this world of being an advocate for kids and 
helping them love Jesus for the rest of their lives. So if you have something that you want us to talk about, I would love to hear from you directly. You can email podcasts at awana.org or you can call 630-289-5353 and leave a message with whatever you want us to talk about. You have joined us in this conversation. You are trusting us. And that is a tremendous privilege to me. So I want to make sure that I'm talking about the things that you want to hear about. I can't wait to talk to you directly. But until then, I'll talk to you on Thursday. The Resilient Disciples podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales to accomplish our mission of equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by Ross Cochran. Thanks to Kevin Orris and Phil Wallace for making this podcast happen. Go to resilientdisciples.com for resources and many more of these conversations.